Good morning. The reading today is from 1 Peter chapter 3, starting at verse 13. So 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13. Who then will harm you if you are devoted to what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear or be intimidated, but in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defence to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. Well, it's me again. Hello. <laughs> it's, uh, it's great to be with you as we finish off this series. I've loved this series. Uh, it's been a refreshing little mini-series helping us own the hope that we have in Jesus. We started a few weeks ago, and my sense of time, perhaps like yours, has been a bit blurred, but we started a couple of weeks ago with Matt Hearn uh, at the beginning of, of 1 Peter 1, looking at the living hope that we have in Jesus, and we were encouraged to, to story our hope, to find all of our hopes and fears running into the living hope of Jesus and to celebrate that. Uh, last week, um, I watched online, it was great, I, I think Paul did a great job reminding us uh, that the hope God offers all of us for the forgiveness of sins, and he particularly also has a heart for the lost, uh, for the downtrodden, for the marginalized, and God is a God who cares for the poor and the needy. And as people who have found that grace and that hope in Jesus... How much are we then sent out to hold that hope out to the needy and the poor of this world? Uh, the tricky thing in last week is that halfway through the day, Paul called me up and said, uh, my wife just tested positive and, uh, and we had to do some funky stuff in the afternoon. But that's all right, it was a great day and it was great to see the fruit of that with now 30 uh, kids sponsored and that number keeps rising. This week, it's my hope that as we revere Christ uh, more and more, that he will bubble up in our hearts, onto our lips and into the lives of others. See, I figure we're all evangelists for something. I mean, you guys talk to me about your favorite TV shows, uh, you know, perhaps a new car that you bought, a job that you're looking at. The thing that's on our heart, the thing that's kind of on our mind, it, it just it can't help but bubble out into our conversation. We're excited about it. A few of you have approached me and said, oh, Mark, I heard you're building a rock climbing wall. That's because I'm obsessed with it, and I'm sort of constantly babbling about it. I'm sorry about that. Uh, but whether it be a DIY project, a TV show, a car, a job, whatever, above that, I see a people of hope here. You guys are a people of hope. And I see a people who God is using to hold that hope out to others. It is immensely encouraging to hear how God is using you in the places he has put you. And oh, how this world needs hope right now. Now, 1 Peter 3 is going to be, uh, in fact, ju just this verse. This is going to be like a one-verse sermon. 
That might be a bit unusual, I'm not sure, but that's what we're doing this morning. And I've chosen the NIV because I love the way it puts it. It's just a bit more poetic, perhaps. Uh, it's the same scriptures, I'm just using this, uh, this version. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And from this one verse... I have a three-point sermon like I do most weeks. First of all, what do you fear? And secondly, who are we sharing this with? Who are we sharing Jesus with? And thirdly, how do we go about preparing for this? Now, I'm particularly asking that God would use this in the lead-up to Easter to push us out and to hold out the hope that we have in Jesus. All right, what do you fear? Uh, I start here because I realize that if you catch on to the fact that I'm talking about evangelism, your, your, your palms will start sweating a little bit and there'll be much fear. I'm hoping we can just get that out of the way. Because, you know, at one level, as, as I'm sort of getting to meet people, I'm finding sort of re- real evangelists, people who have God, God has gifted particularly uh, in, in evangelism as he gifts other people with teaching uh, and other gifts. But, but my hope is that Uh, even with those people with particular gifts in the church, that we all might be released in everyday kind of ways to proclaim Jesus. But the but here, and the where I'm driving at when I ask the question, what do you fear, is not just because I'm sort of anticipating your fear about evangelism. It's actually driven by the text. So if we look at, uh, and keep your Bibles open, even though it's one verse, keep your Bibles open, uh, if, if we look at uh, it, it, what 1 Peter says here, just prior to verse 15, he says, do not fear what they fear or be intimidated. What's he talking about? Well, he's addressing uh, a people who have been scattered. These are, these are the first generation Christians who have come to faith from a variety of backgrounds. And whether it be from Judaism, and that's kind of created tension with their, their roots, um, or whether it be uh, as, as Gentiles, and that's created tension in, in kind of the powers of the day. Caesar was kind of deified, and, 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 and Christianity is, as this kind of new sort of sect was, was a stain on kind of the way things were in those days. And, and so here are these minority Christians who, who have been scattered by persecution, and, and Peter is saying, do not fear what they fear. Do not be intimidated. There are many reasons to be afraid. But above all of that, they are called to revere. Not fear, but revere. Revere Christ. It's the same word revere as kind of hallowed be your name. Sanctify. Make holy. Glorify. Christ. And Christ is is the Lord, is the Messiah. So we are called to... um, to revere Christ as Lord. Christ is that kind of word for Messiah. And the reason I'm picking up on that is because, to put it in layman's terms, Messiah is kind of God's hero. Throughout the whole Old Testament, God was pointing towards one person who would bring salvation, who would bring glory back to Zion, who would be the hero of the drama of God in His holiness and and, and a wayward and unholy and sinful people. And how was God going to resolve, reconcile that relationship? Well, there would be a hero to rise up in that drama. It would be the Messiah. It would be the Lord Jesus. And so now that we have been 
reconciled. And verse 18 puts it like this, For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Now that that has happened, ought we not revere Christ? It's so easy to sort of, you know, once you become a Christian for a long time, to get into that loop of kind of like, yeah, I'm a Christian. But let us each week be refueled, sort of run into church to be kind of, to be recharged, but by the extraordinary fact that while we were far off, Christ died for us. And he welcomed us in his open arms, the same arms that were spread out on the cross for us as he died for us. The more we realize how far off we were, and the more we realized how far Christ came for us, the more we might be filled up with the joy of what God has done for us. And I've come to realize more and more that it's kind of my job, it's my privilege to find ways to make Jesus my hero. I mean, that kind of sounds a bit Sunday schoolish, I know, but I'm just putting it in really layman's terms. It's my job to, 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 to lift up Jesus as the hero of my story because he is the hero of God's story, of, of the whole cosmic story. And that is a real privilege to let all of my hopes, all of my fears flow into the living hope of Jesus. At the end of uh, the series on 2 Corinthians, I, I shared a story of a, of a friend of mine who, who had called me up that week to say that she had some, some really devastating medical news. And, uh, and I shared with you kind of, you know, how, how God used her to actually talk to her neighbours in sort of profound new ways. Because at, at the centre of her grief and her disorientation with that really hectic news was a prayer. And she prayed, God, would you use this somehow for your glory? That's because she had found a way to join her hopes and fears to the living hope of Jesus so that despite the devastating news she had, Jesus might be the hero of her story. And God is using that. Friends, that is an extraordinary example of what it means to find our way to lift up Jesus as the hero of our life. But, you know, it, it is true that fear eats hope. Uh, as much as we hold on to hope, it just it keeps etching away. And so I've sort of used this phrase a few times already, as we run to church, as we kind of refuel here, my hope is that every Sunday you'd sort of push those fears back, the kind of everyday fears that just etch in. And we've been swimming in this kind of sea of anxiety for the last two years, haven't we? Do you kind of, I mean, I'm feeling kind of just the weight of constant decisions having to be made and kind of backup plans and kind of all this stuff. It's just, I just want to break. But... We might not get that. What we do have is the Lord Jesus. And my hope is this morning, as you come together to fellowship, to look to Him, that you might be refueled in that. But back to sort of the, the task at hand, as I help us think about holding out Jesus, when we think about fears, we have kind of some interesting things, right? Uh, this week I asked over Facebook uh, and in the email that went out, uh, I held a little survey, three-minute survey, uh, a whole bunch of you, 63 of you have filled it out so far. And if you haven't seen this, ask me about it or look at your email that went out um, or look on the Facebook group. If you know anything about that, come speak to me as well. But I asked the question, what do you think makes it hard to share about Jesus? And the predominant answer was, I'm anxious about how the conversation will go. Of course we're anxious about how the conversation goes. Like we're, we're holding out like kind of someone who is completely like different, other 
that then the everyday kind of conversation matters that we often talk about. We're talking about the Lord Jesus, and he, he's kind of, he can be a pretty taboo in conversation. You know, this week I, um, I had a go at doing a bit of a vox pop, uh, that is kind of um, with, with a camera, uh, walking around the streets asking people uh, what hope meant to them as a way to open up conversation and invite them to Easter. Now, I, I sat in the car at, you know, with my camera next to me down at Pender Hill Shops, and for a moment I'm like, what the heck am I doing? <laughs> I, was, I was a little bit nervous, and I actually thought about driving home, but I thought, well, let's, let's give this a go. And what I prayed is I prayed that above my fear, I prayed that the Lord Jesus would be the hero of my life and that he would guide me to people that he loved. And it would guide me to people he'd prepared uh, now, my hope was that we'd be able to show some of that video at Easter. Uh, nobody wanted to be on camera, but I had some good conversation, uh, which is interesting, right? Because all I asked them was, what does hope mean to you? And, and it opened up conversation with complete strangers. All right, let's keep, let's keep pushing in. The living hope that we have in Jesus cannot be quenched by fear, not even the fear of death, because Jesus reigns over death. Point two. Um, who we revere in Christ, uh, who, uh, who, who are we called to answer? In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. Now, it's not just everyone. It's not just that it, this verse doesn't say evangelize everyone. No, what does it say? It says, it doesn't even say evangelize. It says be ready to give the hope that you have, a defense for the hope you have, to those who ask you. Now, I love this verse uh, as a sort of you know, young Christian because I, ha- I sort of really idealized this kind of like, I'm going to live such a Jesus life that people are going to come up to me and be like, whoa, what's, what's with your life? Tell me about this person that you worship. That never happened. Um, I don't know if you've kind of had similar kind of feelings about this verse, but I'll tell you what has happened. I have had that conversation over years that, that is, no one comes up to me in one moment and says, wow, tell us about the hope that you have. But, but as I live life alongside others, it, it leaks out. It cannot help but leak out. If I'm talking about my favorite TV show, it would be a, a crying shame if I'm not talking about my favorite God, <laughs> the Lord Jesus. But, but why would someone ask you about the hope that you have? That's an interesting question, isn't it? Why would someone ask you? Because it's one thing to kind of idealize the kind of like, well, you know, I'll, I'll live a great life and they'll just ask me. Why would they? It's a weird thing to ask, as much as it was a weird thing for me to do Vox Pop thing. Well, I can think of two reasons why someone might ask about the hope that you have. And the first one is, is that you live such a countercultural life. Like the way you live your life is so different to the culture that, that there'll be this kind of curiosity or kind of just, what the heck are you doing? But, but I think that the kind of the gap that opens, has to open up for that to happen is, is quite significant. Now, I think that Peter's audience is living that significant gap out. But the second reason, I think, is kind of beautiful. And I think it's just because you've loved them, because you've showed interest in them, because you've asked them about their hopes. And as we show an interest in others, as we demonstrate a vulnerability with others, might not that be a platform for them to ask you about the hope you have? Now, when you put it that simply, you kind of got to ask the question, well, am I doing that? Am I creating that platform? 
that scaffold for people to ask me about my faith because I've shown an interest beyond the kind of everyday in their heart, in their hope, in their dreams. Now, Peter's audience, as I said, uh, I think was living out such a countercultural life. They practiced radical hospitality, a kind of hospitality that, that Jesus modeled in the way he dined with sinners, um, the way he fed those who were, who were, and the way Jesus was heartbroken for the lost uh, and those who didn't have a shepherd. I found this quote from, uh, from uh, Emperor Flavius. So he's the emperor that's actually after Constantine, even kind of after the Roman Empire became Christian. He says this, these impious Galileans, that is Christians, not only feed their own poor, but ours also. Walking them into their agape, Greek for love, they attract them as children are attracted with cakes. There is this kind of like disdain. Who are these people who, who love so extravagantly? But it doesn't prompt Flavius to go, hmm, I might become a Christian. He looks down upon them. How ridiculous. So when people ask you about the hope that you have, maybe don't expect it to come from like a place of like interest, but a place of disdain even. For these, the audience of Peter's letter was, were mocked as much as people were curious about the way they lived. Now, some of us might think that we're heading in a similar direction. Do you think that? That kind of we're living in a culture today that might be similar to the first century culture that held Christianity uh, with disdain. But it's not quite as simple as that. And when we're thinking about our neighbour and the who it is that we're called to answer and love, it would do us well to understand a little bit about the culture they inhabit because that informs the way they see us, the way they hear us. Now, that's a huge topic, but let me just share a book that I've read recently that I thought was quite helpful. And it's by a guy called Stephen McAlpine, a pastor out in Perth, and it's called Being the Bad Guys. Uh, and uh, it's a, sort of a bit of a sort of tongue-in-cheek title, perhaps. But, but he talks about the different kinds of cultures, not just kind of ethnic culture, uh, but, but kinds of culture. He says the first, first culture, that's his sort of phrasing, first culture, is, is the culture of competing gods. And, and that would have been the culture that, that Peter was writing to. In the context there was that there was uh, pagan gods, there was Caesar who was deified, and in the mix of all of those gods was, were Christians holding out Jesus as a competing god. And, and it would be kind of okay to be in the marketplace, to be in the Areopagus, as Paul would have been, and to argue out, my God is better than your God kind of thing. And we see that through Acts. The second culture happens perhaps after um, you know, the, the Roman Empire becomes more and more Christianized, and that is uh, the culture becomes more monotheistic or, or, and evangelistic even. That is that Christianity became the dominant force and anyone who was not on board with Christianity were sort of targets of evangelism. Uh, that's the second culture. Now, as I suggested, some of us might think that we're heading back to a first culture as, as our society becomes less and less Christian. But Stephen helps us to think maybe it's actually not as simple as that. There's a third culture. And the third culture is sealed off from anything transcendent. That is, where the first culture had an idea of competing gods, the third culture is actually, there is no God. And the third culture is actually built as a, as a historical development to say, actually, no, we're rejecting what once was. And so it, it, it's actually got these built-in features to resist evangelism. 
So it's not as simple just to hold out, oh, what you're looking for in life, the hole in your heart is Jesus. That's actively rejected. Now, that makes things more challenging, doesn't it? But what I found fascinating as I've moved to Tungabi is I think I see all three cultures in play here in a way that I haven't seen elsewhere. So Newtown, for instance, very third culture. Um, but, but as I walk down the shops in Pendle Hill in Wentworthville, I see gods or statues of gods and pictures of gods for sale amongst the food. There's kind of this idea that there are many gods. I see a few smiles and nods, yes. Um, there, there are many gods of which Jesus might be considered one of, and that's particularly true in sort of a Hindu, multi-god kind of uh, worldview. But I also see evidence of the second culture. That is kind of, uh, as I interact with people, that, that Australia is kind of Christian. Uh, do, do you know what I mean by that? Like that there is kind of a view that, that by and large Australia is Christian. And, and each one of these cultures has particular features and challenges. Uh, and so the challenge for the second culture conversations is actually, you know, what, what do you mean by that? Do you consider yourself a Christian? You're sort of trying to undermine a little bit, put a pebble in their shoe perhaps to make sure that they have faith in Jesus and not just kind of subscribing to a, well, I'm with everyone else. But then I also see third culture more and more, and we see this most prevalently in our media, because that's the place a lot of our broadcasting is coming from, the Sydney Morning Herald, uh, movies, have all these features built in that you don't need God to love beautifully, that you can have the kingdom life without the king. Now, what does it look like to, to hold out hope of Jesus in that culture? Well, I think Peter helps us. That is, as we keep reading... Despite what culture we're in, do this in gentleness and with respect and keeping a clear conscience so that when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. This is long game stuff. You know, I, I think in the third culture, we might be back on the margins. And I kind of say, so be it. L let our faith in Christ shine even if we're mocked for it. Now, that's going to be hard and I want us to be prepared for that. And for those that lament kind of the glory days of kind of perhaps the second culture kind of vibe, well, that had its issues too. And culture keeps changing, but the Lord Jesus does not. Let us practice a non-anxiousness in Jesus, because our hope is found in Him. This is not a culture war moment. This is a place, a, a, an opportunity for us to stand in faith and to demonstrate that our foundation is more substantial than anything that this world has to offer. And what a unique time in the middle of COVID to actually show that. May Jesus and the hope that he brings tangibly in our everyday life be on our lips, our little testimonies ready to share as it's infused in our everyday conversations. But the second reason, coming back to sort of why someone might ask us about the hope that we have in Jesus, the second reason... Uh, and we're sort of almost towards the end of the sermon, it is, is that kind of obvious one that I want to challenge us on. It's because we've shown a love for them, because we've asked them about their hopes and their dreams and their fears. And another book that came to mind uh, as I thought about this second part of, um, you know, why we, someone, might, someone might ask us about the hope that we have, is this book here. It was, it's called I Was Once Lost, What Postmodern Skeptics Taught Us About Their Path to Jesus. And it's based on a survey of a thousand or more thousands of, of postmodern people who came to faith. Uh, and not by sort of the old school methods of rallies, like at big events or tracks. What they discovered is a consistent pattern. 
that, that while postmodernists might have rejected kind of the institution and kind of any kind of claim to absolute truth, their journeys often began with trust. Not trust in institutions, but trust in people, people who represent Jesus. And so while they might d- disdain the idea of an absolute truth in Jesus, they kind of have this, this trust, this rapport, like, I don't like Christians, but I like you. <laughs> I'm not sure about Jesus, but I get you. That's because we've lived lives of integrity, of gospel integrity, because we've loved them and shown interest in them. And out of that trust develops a curiosity. And this is the moment where they get to ask about the hope that we have. Now, if you want to dig into this a little bit more, I've put the video that overviews this, um, this book and this kind of this pathway into the study notes of, of, that matches with this sermon. And if, you, if your small group's not doing that, you can simply just go to Tack Life and look at Bible study materials, find this one, and there's a link to this to a video that might help you press into that a bit more. This pathway, it's not a trap. It's not a sort of a manipulative marketing pathway. It's just noted the common way that postmodernists have come to faith. And it's through trust and developing an active curiosity. And we've got to start that. Friends, we've got to be good at being curious ourselves. Not just evangelizing kind of, or propagandizing kind of what we have to say, but actually vulnerably listening to others. And not just cutting them off because we believe something different, but actually engaging them. So, how might we prepare for all this? Well, it's kind of working through everything I've just shared with you. It's, it's revering Christ, daily owning Him as the hero of your story, and finding ways to, to, to gossip that, to, to babble on about that in the same way we babble on about everything else. Finding practical, tangible ways to put Jesus into our conversations. And not just with, uh, with people who don't come to church, but in our small groups, after church. And we're actually not that natural at this. You know, and it's not just a Toon Gabby thing. That's, I think Christians actually struggle with doing this by and large. And so let's practice it here. Let's make a mess of it here amongst each other. As we sort of force it a little bit, just to practice it. But in that, God might use us to actually more naturally put Jesus on our lips in everyday kinds of conversation. Be intentional in your friendships, in your hospitality. Don't just do entertaining, do hospitality. And what I mean by that, I mean, there's not much difference really, but what what I mean by that is is when you think about who am I going to have around for a meal, think about that intentionally. Mix it up a little bit between people who might come to church and people who come to soccer club or, you know, whatever else. Find ways to to bring people together. A couple of years ago, Kel and I did something really stupid and put on Facebook, um, would anybody like to come for a meal at a house? And someone texted me and said, did you mean to post, post that publicly? I said, yeah, I did. And, and f- once a month, for about four months, we had these kind of completely random people, like from neighbours to school friends to church friends, just come and have a meal with us. And it was a way to kind of join people across circles, break down kind of cliques. Let's be radical and intentional. If you want to do any reading, um, I'll skip over that running out of time. If you want to do any reading, I'll put these books on Facebook uh, and you can have a look at those. These are great books to prompt us to think about how we might hold out hope uh, in this day and age. Uh, But as we think about ways that we might be able to sort of leverage this together, things like Hope Explored is not the answer to holding out hope, but it's just, it's, it's one way that we can come together and and practice this together to open up conversation around a meal. And so I want to put on your heart who who are three people that you are praying for regularly 
And if you don't have them, find them. That you might not just invite them to this, but invite them to Easter or kind of ask God to use you in whatever way. And we want to provide a bunch of different platforms for you to be able to invite people along, but in the end, it might just be a conversation over the cubicle wall. Whatever it is, I don't care. (laughs) I want you to be prompted to have courageous conversations in sharing the hope that you have because your hope is real and it's changing your life. And if it's not changing your life, let's talk about that. Let me finish with the words of Peter in chapter 4. So chapter 4, verse 7. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen.